Bonjour, Piemonte. It may be grey outside, but the sun's shining in our hearts, so let's squeeze the life out of Wednesday. The Giro comes to Tortola today, so plan ahead and avoid the major approaches to town as there will be extensive road closures, especially around the Corso della Repubblica and the race headquarters in the Sala Monsignor Francesco Remotti. In the meantime, here's Chardé and Smooth Operator. Well, it's uh, Tortona today, and um, we've arrived at the finish line via a very circuitous approach, it has to be said, trying to find what's called uh, on bike racing the PPO, which uh, literally means the point de passage obligatoire, which is a French word um, being used by uh, two British people at an Italian bike race. But um, it's the universal language of cycling, that a PPO is sometimes, not always, vitally important because it takes you... It, it, um, from wherever you're coming to to get to the finish coming from it takes you to a very specific point on the race route from which you can at which you can enter the race route ahead of the race obviously and from which you can travel along the race route to the finish line uh, where you can park up sort of like so it's quite important sometimes to find the the PPO um, and we located it uh, but, but not without going round Tortona in the drizzle at one point we compared it to oh it feels a bit like we're in Kings Lynn. It's not a fair comparison. They're very different uh, places, actually. Uh, but the drizzle was basically restricting our field of view to 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 give the impression that we could we could have been close to Kings Lynn. Yeah, um, and I think I think the rain made it as well. And and then maybe the the signpost to a drive-through McDonald's added to the the kind of thought, sense that we were in uh, heading to a, a Tour of Britain stage, but potentially. But so we started in the car. Almost getting into sort of like fake commentary mode on an imaginary Tour of Britain stage, didn't we? We had we had a break of four riders up the road. We did scooping up the. I think Ian Bibby was one of two Motorpoint Marshall's pasta riders. I think, I think Wilco was there as well. Wilkinson. Ian Wilco, Wilco, was, Wilco was up the road. Wilco was yeah. in the move. Well, he, it was a good day for him because not too much climbs. Not he's, he would have been a bit vulnerable on the Stoke Trent stage, wouldn't he? But so he's picked a good day to get in the break. That's a good day for Wilco to get in the move. And uh, and also there's there's although there's no big climbs, there's two third cats just before the finish on the finishing circuit, just outside Kings Lynn's where they drop in. Uh, but then there's there's two hotspot sprints, uh, and uh, and they're first and second in that. So they're, they're doing they're doing what um, Bardiani do in the Giro, but in the, at the Tour of Britain, and it's great to see. It's great to see Bib, Bibby's, Bibby's basically at those sprints. He's working for Wilco, isn't he? Wilco's just got that final finishing speed that's a little bit sharper than, than Bibby. So Bibby's doing a good job here. Great rider. Bibby, um, and they're joined by one of the young lads from Top Sport Flandern. Yeah, his name is. Don't uh, know too much about him. Yeah, Kevin Herringotts. Uh, um, we don't. All, all we know, um, he's from just outside Gitz. So in, in his, his, his mother works the, is a receptionist at De Kernick Windows, uh, which is which is incredible. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah at, at the Windows uh, Company. So, but we we only know his weight. So he's 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 seventy two kilos. That's all we know about him. Yeah, it's quite tall, isn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, he discovered cycling after he got a knee injury. Uh, he was quite a good volleyball player uh, originally, but he, yeah, he, in recuperation, he got quite a bad knee injury when he was um, at 19. And um, as part of his recuperation, he found, you know, got on the bike, didn't he? Found he was pretty good at it and started winning some local commesses. And here he is racing the Tour of Britain, stage three, the imaginary stage three into Kings Lynn. Indeed. Well, uh, but and the thing is that they've got they've got a six-minute lead, um, but it's a, it's a headwind. So I think they're, they're doomed. But it's a good day out. It's good to see the British lads out there. And also, we'll learn a little bit more about this young lad from Belgium as the race goes on. 
Tortona is the birthplace of Fausto Coppi, um, and there's quite a lot of um, uh, sort of street signs and bits and pieces of roads. We passed the Casa Coppi, so I think there's a museum to him somewhere. I don't, we won't have time to visit today, which is deeply frustrating, actually. Um, it's also, it's an important town. It's sort of on the crossroads of all sorts of uh, historical sort of axis points because it sits where it does to the west of Piemonte, um, uh, in the middle of the Alessandrian plains, through which Milan San Remo passes every year. And um, though I don't think I've ever been to Tortona before, I feel like I kind of know it a bit because I'm pretty sure that every year the race comes through or past Tortona as it heads uh, out of Milan west towards the Paso del Torquino. And, um, and I, my sense of, I think, I think that's right, was made suddenly very real when we approached Tortona and we saw the, um, the Madonna atop a church, which is um, quite, quite extraordinary actually. But very familiar to me. The church in question is the Santuario di Nostra Signora della Guadia in Tortona, and the Madonna on top is kind of oversized and really stunningly beautiful. But um, I don't know how tall she is, but she's disproportionately vast for the top of what is quite a modest um, church basilica. Um, and uh, architecturally, and in terms of the kind of style in which she's fashioned quite unusual in that um, you know we're so used to looking at Baroque and Renaissance and uh, architecture throughout Italy but this particular building was built in the 1920s this church and consecrated in 1931 they started building it in 1926 so it's um, interwar architecture kind of Art Nouveau style and the Madonna on um, on the top is always picked out by the helicopters and the early coverage of uh, Milan San Remo and again we won't have time to go and visit it although we accidentally almost drove right up to the front door when we were looking to fill up our car uh, with petrol for another quite long transfer at the end of the day. And I'm afraid that's deep into, well, now into the second week of racing, that those kind of priorities, just getting through, especially when it's rainy, start to sort of overwhelm you a bit, don't they? Yeah, the, it's all, we're trying to just optimise everything because the days are quite long. So today, normally, me and Ned, would, would both of us would like to do some sport I'd go out for a little potter you go for a run but the, the weather is just making it you know a, a bit grim it's slightly longer days but um, our fuel card for the Giro d'Italia it's only a small logistical thing but it's something you have to bear in mind especially when you head into the mountains is making sure you, at all times you've got over half a tank of fuel really at, at the bare minimum because we have to go and fuel up at Q8 filling stations only you can't fill up anywhere else otherwise you have to use your own cash um, so we've got to think about that and, and also think about Small details. When we've got a long transfer, we want to make. When we park up in the morning, and this is where grand, a thing called grand tour experience kicks in. Something you, you're not born with. You can only learn it over long periods of time. Um, so just basically getting logistics right, um, getting a sense of where you are, but uh, just the details. So parking the car, simply facing in the right, the right direction. Yeah. So if you're at any grand tour, any grand tour, this extends to particularly the tour where things are quite a lot of dense parking, pointing your car in the right direction can save you upwards, well, from as little as 30 seconds up to upwards of half an hour uh, on getting away. So we make sure the car's facing the right direction and fueled up. And there are two things we've done, but that in turn has eaten into our time to relax ahead of the stage. So today, we've not even been into the booth yet. This is how we're, we're borderline flying by the seat of the pants here. 
I'm prepping, you're podding, not even being in the booth, but it's all about optimization, isn't it? But it's, it's not stressful unless you think about it, if you know what I mean. Another coffee? Yes, please. <laughs> We've been... Well, we haven't moved from when I did the last segment. We're still in our cafe. We've got another coffee, as we said we were going to do. Yeah, 10 minutes past. Um, But we haven't moved. I've done most of my prep. Um, The thing I need to catch up on now is a welter welter of information. A a borderline tidal wave of information is coming from our colleague Martina, who's at the start in Camayore. And she has reported back that um, so far there's a bunch of non-starters, including, uh, well, basically half of the quick step team. Yeah, it's awful. I mean, it does explain a little bit why Vavika and uh, Catania are out of the race now. They got in that early move with Demarkey ye- uh, yesterday, didn't they? Just got and popped they just off. Got popped off, and it uh, and it it did actually surprise me. And now that seems well, they're clearly not right, and they're out of the race, which is a big shame. And the, and the list goes on. It's I think it's along with jo- well, along with their teammates, Joseph Czerny and um, Jan Hirt. All of them, so four. That's it. Five, including Remco. That's five Sudal Quickstep riders out. Three left. Yeah, which leaves three, doesn't it? Um, Van Bilder, Van Ballerini, and Peter Seri. Sorry, that's it. Yeah, um, yeah. There was one other rider as well. So, but I don't think that's the end of it. I think there's more. Uh, there's more to come. So this is. So a couple of things have happened since we last podded. Actually, um, we were we were talking about actually how quite a dark mood has descended on the Giro. I think it's just honest to say that, isn't it? Still an amazing race, full of intrigue. Can't wait for today's finish. Actually, it could be quite a long day today, but there's a there's a it's quite dark at the moment because yesterday was brutal. Yeah. Um, the rain has continued today. The COVID cases continue. We're still, I think, reeling from Remco's withdrawal, uh, and it yeah, it feels it feels. I, I can't imagine how the riders must feel. Can you put yourself a little bit in their in their in their heads as much as I can? Um, it was grim, it was attritional, there were a lot of riders just literally couldn't function. Actually, just, just a slight tangent, but Jay Vine, his crash, he said the reason he crashed is because he couldn't brake properly. And he said he's never felt so cold in his entire life. And he felt cold to his inner core. And, and I've felt that in my entire career just twice. And it's, it's unpleasant. And, and you just go into protection mode. You actually feel when you're that cold, you become a little bit frightened for your own like, like well-being. The, the race just pales into insignificance. It's like you're in protection mode and it becomes, I just want to get to the finish. And, and they're the days where you start to question the decisions on your, your profession. Um, literally but, that. Yeah, yeah, literally that. Why am I doing this with my life? Yeah, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, and um, so that was it. That was interesting. Again, have a read. of uh, it's, it's quite a detailed uh, little piece of, of writing underneath his, on his Instagram. But no, yeah, there, there'll be a, a, a poor uh, kind of a veil of... of depression but it feels quite muted at the moment and um, it's never nice day after day after day opening up the shutters in your hotel room after you've had a you know a difficult day the day before to see the rain falling again and there's because it's grim because you know it's going to be a, a difficult day you know for the vast majority that you're going to feel uncomfortable it, it's you're going to be stressed because of the risk of crashes um, obviously not feeling too good maybe slightly uninspired and this is where c- certain riders, though, to flip it around, will revel in those sorts of conditions. But they are few and far between. But also, on a, on a, a, total, a total human level, which we can relate to as well, it hasn't, there hasn't been much sun. And we, we need sunshine. We, we need that. It, it gives us serotonin, doesn't it? You know, we, and without the sun, it, it, things become a little bit different. You view the, the world in a slightly different way. 
And um, and I think we're there. Like it's, this race is still wonderful and brilliant, but it it is it is it's organic. It, it, it's living because it's at its soul are a group of human beings moving around Italy who are affected by these by these conditions, the, the weather conditions, what's happening to the race, all the riders falling out. So yeah, it does feel odd. And there's something, there's something, yeah, there's a little malaise, I think. That's a good yeah. word. And I can't, and, and I would imagine also that in the multiple teams now have lost m- multiple numbers of riders, you know, some of them decimated and they've lost their yep. leaders. You know, it even happened to Team Corotec really early on. And one of the first abandons in the race was Valeli or Conti. That entire Corotec team, he was their spearhead and by far the most experienced rider. So when, when that goes as well, that must be kind of dispiriting. You sit at the breakfast table and you've only got four left and, and, and your main players have gone home and you're kind of like bereft of purpose really, like in terms of what you can expect to get. That, a lot of riders must be in that position as well, which I, kind of makes me feel a bit... And, and then they have to battle with the same conditions that you've just outlined, you know, yeah. over and above it all. It's, there's, again, that, it's, it's quite multifaceted, clearly. Your sense of purpose is diminished, especially the plans that you may or may not have had coming into the race. But what, but what, it, but what it does, it kind of strangely, a good team management structure and good riders will work with that. Will work with that, and it, and it often galvanises teams. And that's why, although it's a shame, it's a big shame they're out. It was so good, and we commented on it. Even when they were dropped, Catania and and Viveka yesterday, getting stuck in straight away, first break of the day that looked like a good one, and ultimately that stayed away to the finish. And they couldn't hold on because they were real. But what they did, they lifted their spirits. That they, they came together as a collective despite the loss of their talismanic leader. So I do think that you, a, a team won't capitulate. It just becomes a little bit harder. But within that, there are also opportunities. Look at what happened to Toe Gang and Hart in 2020. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's an extreme example. Very, very, very extreme. And in some ways, that is the least expected thing. Is this 2020 replaying itself slightly. I, the last thing I imagined was that COVID would rampage through this race. And I'm afraid that's... This is, this is, we are where we are now, and there's a long way to go till Rome's still. We're not even halfway. At midway point today, we reached the halfway point, don't we? Blimey. But, so, our mood was quite dark. We were reflecting on that. Sorry, by the way, it's got quite loud in, yeah. like, in, in this, I hope you can still hear in this microphone, but it's Italy, isn't it? It's atmosphere, isn't it? Atmosphere. Um, and then, I, this is a key moment every day as well. I keyed in our hotel, just don't, finish my prep, keyed in our hotel, to find out what kind of journey awaits us at the end of today, because it's going to be a long day in country today. And we were gearing up for like a three, two and a half, three hour transfer again. One hour, 23. And all of a sudden, and you went, and I told you that, and you went, oh, it was surprising. Yeah, I went a bit Kenneth Williams. Um, and Terry Scott. Yeah, we were talking about British sitcoms last night over a pizza at dinner, weren't we? And a, and a bottle of wine, which was, which was a lot of fun. But I think just going back to the point that we're probably in the pod just before this about mood, yeah. it's these small details, just, just like a half di- or a, a, a transfer being shortened by half an hour or an hour in your mind, just changes the day, the, the way you perceive the day. So these little micro wins, let's call them, um, are exceptionally valuable, and, and uh, it did lift our mood. I mean, we still love what we're doing, but it it just it just ebbs and flows. It's it's a it's graduated. It's. Uh, you know, it's on a, on a scale, isn't it? But so that little bit of good news did lift my spirits. And I, and I just went camp for a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we had a lot of fun re- reminiscing. I think t- our two favourite sitcoms when we were kids, because we're almost exactly the same age, yeah. um, were The Good Life. Yes. Um, boom, boom. 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 Boom
<laughs> little bird on yeah. the petals. And um, I can't remember the music for it, but Terry, yeah, Terry and June. I can't remember the music of Terry and June. I'll look it up later and we can hum it maybe in the car a bit later on. But a brilliant the sequence brilliant. featured Terry basically collapsing in a deck chair. Didn't yeah, with a, with a, a, a kind of glass of wine or, or, or a kind of homemade lemonade. And uh, he's just faffing about. The chair folds up. He spills a drink over his face and, his, and his, his, probably his polo shirt. And then June, the, the camera pans and you get a tight shot of June just going, oh, Terry. That, just that bit. Um, I don't know why. It's just nostalgic. And that's the sitcom for me, along with The Good Life, that made me feel warm. warm. And supported safe safe weird and then there were the other the outlier sitcoms that slightly unsettled us rising damp yep who are these people actually yeah i've never what they're all a bit whoa yeah you know leonard rossiter in his dressing gown francis de la tour never they all they were just a bit other and they slightly unsettling and we and as kids when you're watching these programs um and with rising Damp, i didn't really get the humor but i would laugh with when my mum and dad laughed, I'd go, <laughs> I'd laugh with them to feel as if I was with them, but I didn't really understand Rising Damp until I was a lot older. But I did look at it with, I was kind of uncertain about it and I was quite cautious. And Rising Damp, to transfer it over into children's books, was like a children's book that you get, like the Grimm's Fairy Tales, with like strange artwork from like the turn of the century when you'd be reading like one of these. And they were terrifying. Yep. You know, frightening children's books. That's what Rising Damp did a little bit. I was just a little bit just on the edge of my seat, not comfy. Yep. Whereas the complete opposite was Terry and June. Just, yep. It's just a big hug, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Wholesome. wholesome. Wholesome comedy. A little bit racist as well. <laughs> Welcome back. And so inexorably, the race edges closer to the Alps. As we cross into the final plane before the mountains rear up ahead, we're in Piemonte today for a finish in Tortona and perhaps the only opportunity for a while for the sprinters to claim victory again. And after yesterday, when the peloton was shredded and the chase imploded, they'll be more motivated than ever. Oh, and it's the longest stage of the entire Giro today. In the Tour de France and in the Vuelta. Well, that's the sound of uh, Matt Stevens actually commentating. Um, a bike race while I uh, take a couple of minutes off just to have a little bit of a breather because uh, today is a long day. We've just passed the halfway point. Uh, the break is at uh, two minutes and six seconds. There's 93.5 kilometers to go. Still got two categorized climbs. Caden Groves has looked a little bit vulnerable that he might be dropped. Uh, but other than that, it's been a, a fairly orderly procession today. And um, Mark Cavendish has had his team riding. Yeah, I think we're going to have a bunch of sprint today. Um, it's dried up at the finish line in Tortona. Hasn't rained for the last couple of hours. The road is dry, um, so it's game on for the sprint, I think. See what happens. In perfect position, Mark Cavendish on the wheel of Maz Pedersen, the Malia Ciclamino of Jonathan Milan. A long way back for him, Stefano Aldani, waiting to open up his sprint. And here he comes, Cavendish on the wheel of Pedersen. Cavendish, can he get off Maz Pedersen's wheel? Pedersen sprinting for the line. Here comes Milan, Cavendish with the lunge for the line, alongside him. And it's uh, Pascal Ackerman, Cavendish, Cavendish pushing for the line. Cavendish, Pedersen, Milan with a charge. Oh, Milan gets there. Milan gets there, I think. Milan just about. Or Acker, oh, I don't know, too close to call. I think Milan gets there. Yeah, Ackerman, Ackerman thinks he's got it, and he's pretty sure he's got it, and normally they're right. 
Well, is that a celebration for Milan as well? Milan thinks he's got it as well. Confusion here at the finish. Have a look at that again. Here it is. Let's have a look. Here is the photo finish. Ackerman gets there from Milan. Cavendish in third, very close, and Mads Pedersen in fourth. Wow! Well, the race finished over half an hour ago. Pascal Ackerman smiling from ear to ear. What a sprint that was, and it was a, it was a clean sprint as well. I really thought Jonathan Milan had got to the line. He was easily the fastest over the last 150 metres, but yeah, you've got to get everything perfect, haven't you, if you want to win, and... Uh, Pascal Ackerman did, and he was literally the only man smiling at the beginning of the race today, back in Camaiore, and smiling at the end of it as well. So, that big smiles bookending stage 11, and uh, a really heartening sprint, even though he probably won't feel that way because he didn't win. Uh, from Mark Cavendish, he was very close, um, getting the better of Maz Pedersen, and really not too far behind the, the other big men as well. So, more to come from Mark Cavendish if he stays in this race, I think. More to come from him, obviously, in 2023, as Astana and Cavendish begin to work out how to get him closer to that winning line. Um, but, but, I think the story of the day, unfortunately, is Gegen Hart. Um, uh, with respect to Oscar Rodriguez as well, and that violent crash from that Movistar rider who hit the wall, and I hope he's all right. Um, Teo Gegen Hart, well, there was nothing he could do about it. Alessandro Covey, uh, was the rider who slid out, uh, Geraint Thomas slid with him and on top of him and escaped serious harm. But two or three wheels further back and the domino effect that uh, brought down most of the Ineos Grenadiers. Gegenau appeared to hit his head hard on the ground and um, uh, 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 as, I, as I record this I don't think that anything has been announced as to what his condition is but he's been taken to hospital for tests and it wouldn't surprise me if they are concussion protocol tests primarily. It's devastating. It's devastating for Gegenhardt that he's off the race because, uh, as well, you've seen with the evidence of his own eyes, he's never been in this kind of form, not even when he won the race in 2020. And uh, there's every chance, in fact, a strong chance, that he could have gone on to win this bike race. And uh, and he won't. I mean, we've seen, obviously, what happens with the rest of his year because there are multiple targets. And if he can hold on to some of the form that he's been showing, he's... Uh, Still got targets for 2023, but this immediate one has been taken away from him in the cruelest of circumstances. And it's actually, it was actually shocking to witness and quite hard to commentate on today for both me and Matt. So that's bike racing. It's just a bastard of a sport, to be honest. It really is beautiful, but ugly as well. Guess where we are. Just going to give you a bit Italy! of Italy! Oh, Italy, Italy. We're, we're in Italy. Well, we know where we roughly are. Should we just, yeah. Um, where are we? Piemonte. We're in Piemonte, heading towards Torino. I won't do what I did earlier, but because that's already been in the pod, isn't it? But we're heading towards Torino. We've got 52 minutes left of our journey. Half past seven arrival, which in the grand scheme of things is pretty... Yeah, yeah take that. We'll definitely. Take definitely take that. Yeah, we like Torino as well. Last time we were... In Turin was um, at the Giro d'Italia last year in very different temperatures, baking hot in Turin. It was the stage that Simon Yates uh, won um, and then expressed his profound disappointment at having won it. Yeah, um, 
he was asked, wasn't he? I mean, yeah, but we, we did comment on that. I mean, as much as we love Yates as his rider, it's quite an interesting. He was disgusted, wasn't he? It's a lost time for the overall. But that was quite a yeah, quite a pointed interview that we didn't expect. And, and also, as well as the the highlight of his win and perhaps the uh, the, the low light of his interview, um, another highlight of that particular trip was our scooter trip. To, to, to dinner. We hired Lime scooters or some equivalent, you know, one of them anyway, the big hire scooter things, after obviously sort of like half an hour of faffing around trying to download the right app and then figuring out how to do it. And then Yumi and Jess um, scooted off because we had, we wanted to go to this particular restaurant whose name I can't remember, but if I can, I'll put it in the show notes because it's, it's, uh, it's a lovely restaurant in the heart of Turin on really quite a, I think it's a Piazza Cavour off the top of my head. But it's quite a, um, Turin can be get quite busy, but this is a square that's a little bit tucked away. It's very pretty. It's a warm night, and we managed to get the last table outside. But anyway, it was a few kilometres from where we were staying, a couple of K, and we thought, scooter. But none of us had ridden those scooters before. I set, when I finally got going, I set off, and within seconds, I had dropped the tiny little front wheel down a tram line, <laughs> and um, basically it came to a shuddering halt, and I jabbed my lower abdomen into the handlebars and for the next four days I had severe bruising around the um I'll be honest the pelvic area the abdominal pelvic area I mean you were yeah you you, you were, I don't know if you were winded but you you were you were basically yeah talking about it for a long time it was quite sure and also to add to my humiliation a middle-aged man Englishman not able to handle a, a lime scooter there were a couple of teenage um, lasses from Turin who very concerned as to my welfare and came over to say, you're right. Like that. And I, I had to put a brave face on, yeah, I'm fine, of course I'm fine. But inside, I was hurting, Matt. Yeah, you were hurting, but me and Jess were, 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 were nearly wetting ourselves with laughter. <laughs> uh, and we just drove off. And then he came, hob- you, you can't hobble back on a scooter, can you? Because sc- scooters just don't hobble. They move relatively smoothly. But yeah, that was nasty. But also a great deal of fun. And yeah, and yeah, a fond memory, a fond memory of the Giro d'Italia. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we, if you potted about it or we potted about it then. So forgive us if we did, but it was just a fond memory because we're heading back to that place. I don't think we'll be eating there tonight. It's just not the weather, is it? Um, it's still quite gloomy. It looks like this changeable weather. I think it's fair to say is set in for the next few days, and it kind of set the. Di- I mean, what a stay! What a finish! What a finish! Yeah, what a finish! I mean, you know. I don't know what you feel about before we talk about the finish. What I've already expressed a few thoughts about Gegenhardt, but I mean, violent, wasn't it? And I think, I think when a rider is just taken out and there's nothing they can do, and there's, it's particularly there's a particular cruelty to it, isn't it? There's, you know, his race had been pretty perfect up till this point, and then that happens, just a bolt out of the blue. It's just you're out of the race, mate, and that's it. It's savage. Yeah. It. It's a certain brutality. It's it's a brutality that we unfortunately have become accustomed to. But when it happens, it's still shocking, and it did take the edge off our commentary for a little bit. And obviously, as a rider, we know very well. But I think it's just detaching all that emotional side. It's just this lad was in the the form of his life far better than when he won the Giro, I think, and he'd probably be the first to admit that himself. Um, And uh, yeah, brutal. We don't know much about his condition now. Um, Just yeah, I, I yeah. Sad, but wish them all the best. But the race moves on, and that's the nature of cycling, isn't it? And there's a, there's a quality bunch. Although you have a little, so I called it in the commentary, and I might have even said it on the pod. I don't know, but I considered that to be a a, a safe sprint where all the you know where no one 
can I have any objections? Turns out I was wrong, right? Yeah, I bumped into Ashley House, uh, former Eurosport um, anchor back in the day, now works for Bahrain Victorious as one of their press officers. You like to call... I'd like to call him Ashley Maison, don't you? Because you're multilingual. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've got a lot of well, I've got a lot of languages up my sleeve, and uh, I think it's quite playful. Um, I've never said it to him because he does speak proper French, uh, but Ashley Maison is, is quite an endearing term. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if I know any other houses, but yes, yeah, well, he's not the only house in cycling, is he? Christian, Christian House. I don't call him Christian Maison. Why? Because he's from Austin, Texas. He's from Austin, Texas. Actually, I was in Austin, Texas a couple of years ago with Holly, my wife, and um, I tweeted me a picture of. No, I posted a picture of me and Holly in a bar enjoying ourselves. Next thing, I'll get a DM from um, Christian House and inviting us over to have some Mexican. So me and Holly got in an Uber and popped over and, and went out with him and his son for a, a, a yeah <laughs> in Texas. Fantastic. What's fun. what's he doing these days? Um. I'm not too sure, but he's just renovating cars. He was in the middle of renovating a Porsche. So I'm not too sure what he exactly does, but he's really into car engines and renovating old cars. So um, that's where he was. His son was there, delightful little little chappy, and uh, just lived in a suburb of Austin. So we were in Austin, and he just lives in a, a suburb there. Uh, so that, that was nice, a really weird catch-up. And we thought, well, we haven't got any plans tonight. So he said, no, a lovely Mexican. So we drove up, 20 minutes, and we were having a, a meal with with uh, yeah with the other Christian and we just call house not Maison but yeah back to the sprint <laughs> well back to the yeah so what did Christian uh, not Christian uh, Ashley Maison have to say Ashley Maison said uh, that yeah Jonathan Milan was uh, a little bit thought he'd won then obviously he hadn't but was nearly going to be disqualified and there was an inquiry into it the commissaires were looking at the footage because of the there was a deviation but from a technical perspective from a technical perspective he deviated from the left to the right um, when we saw the heli shot the top shot of him doing that it didn't appear to impede anybody and so I was like okay he was clearly the, the rider that was moving the fastest over the last hundred meters had a lot of ground to make up but the gap he went through seemed fine but apparently yeah it, yeah sorry just looking at our, um, Ned just did the the kind of Italian sign that like you'd say grasping a small grape and then like moving it up and down yeah I don't know what you'd put there so we've got traffic delays so 19 55 minutes when we started this little ramble it was 50 minutes so it's gone up five so I don't there's clearly been an issue up, up ahead uh, that that was live um, yeah so Milan was not just so they looked at it again and because he didn't actually impede anybody but he still did deviate they find him they didn't uh, penalise him any further than that or disqualify him, which is quite an interesting one. You're looking perplexed and a bit frustrated. It's cycling, isn't it? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I reserve judgment. As I say, we haven't analysed it in that forensic detail. It looked like it looked like no one was impeded. The only rider who I think could have been was Vincenzo Albanese, and I was actually praising Milan for finding that gap between, what was it, Pedersen and, and Albanese? And Relatively cleanly, from what we could say. Very cleanly, and then moving around, and also like how strong he was to even do that from the position that he was in. Um, but it just seems a bit inconsistent. If you've discovered a fault, if you've discovered that the rider has done a dangerous sprint and have deviated from the line, if you've found them guilty, then you, you hand down the... Um, it just seems a bit like almost weak. Like we've, we've come to this conclusion, but we don't really back ourselves with it, you know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they're, because I don't, obviously there's, there are, there's rules concerning line deviation, 
But clearly for them to issue a fine, there must be a regulation, that there must be a gravity scale as well there, because like line deviation in its absolute sense, without hindering anybody else, must clearly be an offence. Otherwise they would not be able to uh, give them a fine. There must be a rule and a tariff attached to it, which is quite interesting. So if anybody's minded to listen to the pod, look it up and get back to us, I reckon, Ned, because we just haven't got the time. Not on the road. It's not no, not happening, really. Yeah. Well, you're driving and I'm, I'm holding the microphone. There's no way we can do anything more than that. Uh, um, we, there was a rider in the break today who's the last man standing, Laurence Rex. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. This is a, this is a cracking little story, isn't it? Because you wouldn't, most of you wouldn't necessarily have heard our broadcast. <laughs> no, but I can yeah, safely just, say that. Laurence Rex, 23 years of age, from the Belge. He's a, he's a Flemish rider. And he uh, finished top 10 in Paris-Roubaix this year's ninth, uh, on his own in a little group of Lannan's Rex. And um, then also, also had a little bit of a to-do, a set-to with Davide Ballerini uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Tour of Flanders, Ballerini having accused him of bringing him down in a crash. So that all got a bit spiky. So he's a quite interesting character. First time I've seen him race, looks physically very, um, very impressive, but, um, We've got a Belgian director working. In fact, I think people might be quite interested to know that Giro d'Italia, recent, relatively recently, in the last couple of years, has, has, the way it's televised has changed. So it's no longer broadcast by... Um, it's no longer, The host broadcaster is no longer Rai. So it's been... Which is quite borderline sort of humiliating for, for Italy and for Rai to have their national uh, Grand Tour race taken away from them. But... RCS wanted to up the quality, and this is this doesn't reflect well on Rye particularly, but they wanted to up the quality of the coverage, and so they've got on board a group called Euromedia Group (EMG), who are they like pretty much any big bike race you watch throughout the year, they make it, yeah. Um, and I don't know whether at home you've noticed, but the the quality of the particularly their helicopter footage has gone up. A lot, so they're using uh, you know the helicopters in much more creative and dynamic ways, and I think I think the race just looks much more polished now. But a lot of that is down to uh, Gunter Herengotz. Gunter Herengotz, um, weirdly, he's the uncle of Kevin Herengotz, a cyclist who doesn't exist uh, that, that rides uh, for a uh, an unknown Belgian team, <laughs> who we mentioned in yesterday's pod. Well, today's pod. Oh, today's pod. <laughs> so. Oh no, let's not get bogged down in that bit. But anyway, he's a lovely bloke, the isn't he? The imaginary stage to Kings Lynn. Oh yes, yes. Oh yes, it wasn't today's yeah. pod. <laughs> Seems an eternity ago. Yeah. We have had it's recording that bit yeah. and 290 kilometers. Plus yeah. 10, plus 10 kilometers. Oh, that was nearly was the straw that broke the camel's back yeah. today, was the fact that we know we're in for a long haul. Sorry to go off on a tangent, but it's relevant. It's important to, you know, what we do. But what, we just started the rollout, and I thought it's got to be a short one today. Oh my God, it's, it's gone up again, 58 minutes. You're doing that thing with a grape. Um, it's, there's also an emoji for it. So if you look up, if you put in Italian hand signal with a grape into your phone, you'll probably get that little Italian uh, hand signal thing. But you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, 10 kilometer neutral zone for crying out loud. So unnecessary as well, because they left Camaiore within about a, a, a kilometer. They were on big dual carriageway, straight road, they could just go. But they didn't, because cycling. Um, uh, Gunter. Gunter Herengotz comes through. So, Lodon Rex is up the road in this group, and we, you know, I'm kind of like talking about him to the best of my knowledge, that, you know, showing the research that I've done. But I didn't know this, right? Gunter obviously knows his cycling. And you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't. Belgian, Belgian uh, director, loves cycling. And he keys through to me and he says, uh, you might like to know 
that uh, Lawrence has got a, a brother and his name is Tim. So his brother is called Tim Rex. And this is because his parents, uh, they thought it would be funny and nice and good for, to have a, a kid called T-Rex. <laughs> it's so, so Belgian, isn't it? It's so brilliant. We, yeah, I don't think we had to quite add to my cough, but it was it was great. But then, as as is our one on a, on a really expansive, long commentary, we just took that, didn't we? Yeah. And, and we, firstly, we looked at, no, we didn't haven't seen his brother, but wondered what dinosaur Lawrence Rex would be. Um, and if he were to be a T-Rex, and he clearly is just too musky, he's got, his arms are too big to be a T-Rex. So we, we then, uh, yeah. Diplodocus, which is speculating, yep. Um, and then we, we were looking at different riders and we started to talk about what riders would be if they were dinosaurs, which went on for a couple of minutes and then just petered out before we realized what we were doing and had to reset and get back to the race. <laughs> but um, that was quite good fun, but yeah, brilliant. Um, and Gunter's a lovely bloke actually, yeah, he's uh, quietly spoken. Um, doesn't give us much, but but just gives us the important stuff, really. Yeah. Uh, and that was a nice little nugget that uh, just helps elevate the commentary, really. That, that sort of attention or that little bit of knowledge passed on that you wouldn't, it's not really going to be in, well, it's now an open source bit of information, isn't it? But yeah, a proper little uh, golden nugget that was. Isn't it interesting, going back to race, that none of the sprinters have won multiple stages, not one. That's, yep. So that's wins now for Caden Groves, who appears to be in a bit of difficulty, let's yeah. be honest. Caden Groves... Uh, has won one Maz Pedersen's won one Michael Matthews has won a selective sprint that he ripped up himself you know dropping other riders uh, Milan won that first big sprint um, and they've, yes they've all had a bit of the action except for Mark Cavendish but that was an encouraging performance from him today wasn't it very yeah, it's knocking, knock, definitely knock, more than knocking on the door so fourth and a third but that was properly close um, and it was the interview from Ackerman revealed the fact that it was a cross headwind as well so Ackerman had the perfect slipstream clearly going well and is it a rider who's had his own problems over the last couple of years but you know he's been beaten by um, a man who's already won the Malik Chikamina that's his third stage with the Giro Ackerman on form is dangerous that's why he's in a big team like that so but but Cavendish had his team on on the front all day long um, Luis Leon Sanchez coming into a very technical last few Ks. It was the last three Ks, a couple of roundabouts, then an acute right-hander that dropped down to take them into the finishing straight. They got him in a good position, he, and he, he seemed hungry, confident, um, was never really in too much trouble, apart from one climb. There was that bit in the race where Jaco Alula suddenly emerged, ripped it up, almost a GC selection, and there was a shot towards the back of Mark Cavendish, surrounded by his teammates, fighting tooth and nail, sat down but writhing on his bike. Um, and that just shows the hunger that he's still got and, and that he's still, he's still a proper, he's a weapon, he's still a, a, a sprint a proposition. And um, yeah, it was a, a, a marvellous showing. And the fact there was no anger at the finish, he was just, just ruefully shook his head, he, he noses him with a kill. And that was quite, there was no like anger there. I think it was, a, and it was a clean sprint, wasn't it? Um, we, we talked about how it was a wide boulevard. They were all spread out. Cav kept his line, but ultimately was just beaten by the narrowest of margins. So I think he can take a hell of a lot from today. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do with a bit of sunshine. You're right, the grey is a bit oppressive. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and uh, I could do with this. I'm, I'm a bit concerned about the... Arrival now has gone up 21 minutes and it's sticking wow. at 56 minutes now. We're, so we've only got 57 k's to go. So it's suggesting that somewhere on the outskirts of the city where Turin, there's a, tra- an, a, God, a, big tra- a big traffic jam. Um, 
So, yes, that's the reality of what we do, though, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's the reality of what we do. Yeah, yeah. And tomorrow? Um, tomorrow is Ben Healy, isn't it? Tomorrow's got, uh, again, a Ben Healy written all over it. Quite a hard climb, a second cat climb that tops out with 27 k's to go. Way too hard for the sprinters. Uh, and it's a hilly start as well, so we've got a really hilly start. So it could be quite a selection, quite a hard race to force that selection to go clear on terrain that Ben Healy would like. Then a quite a flat middle section, no climbs in the middle section of the race and then a brutal climb on the finishing circuit. So yeah, um, I reckon it'll be up the road. Good, and I enjoyed your map, uh, just finally. You know, I enjoyed your your reading of the map. It was excessively um, slow again, the animation, wasn't it? Ridiculously slow. And what I did, uh, I, the last video does have been reading the, the, the town and the city names where it passes through the sprint points and the KOM points. They're the only points of reference that you get on the screen. And, and normally you have to read them, or they don't necessarily. And there were, one popped up, uh, and I thought, I haven't read this, and I'm just going to mangle it. And I did mangle I think I did mangle it. No, it's fine. Uh, was you it? had a cr- there was a critical hesitation where I could yeah. see, because I do the same thing very often, where you're just processing it, and you can't quite get it out fluently. And I think you did fine, but I'd noticed that hesitation. I'd noticed Thank you. Hesitation. Yeah, well, you saw it. You visibly saw yeah. You saw it. You wouldn't have just heard it. You saw it happen. And then the second climb was an equally, co- even more convoluted and complex um, place name, broken into four parts, I think, or three parts, and multiple syllables within that. Um, and I just called it climb number two. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I always enjoy that bit. We have a little bit of fun. And then, uh, yeah, over the halfway point. So hump day is done, then. Ned. It's done. It's done. I'm going to be. I was. I was in a really good mood yesterday morning. Almost, almost unbearably good mood. Quite an annoyingly good mood. Must have annoyed you. I apologise. No, I, I think I mentioned that it. I, I, it could have been annoying. Could have been annoying. Uh, that, uh, not. Oh no, it's come down. Lost four minutes now. Um, so it's, we're now at the speed. 52 k's to go. 52 minutes. That's 60 k an hour. That's um, the same speed that Remco Evenepoel rode the last kilometre of the individual time trial with COVID. That's the speed we've got to go in this car. Flipping heck. It's quick that lad, isn't he? I think it might bunch up soon. Wonder what's for tea. <laughs> <laughs>